Hey, this is Pastor Mark. You do not want to miss this week's podcast. You're going to laugh till you cry, but it's good tears. They're good tears. So, man, tune in. Listen to this podcast. It's going to inspire you, encourage you, and, and prayerfully help bring change that you desire in your life. God bless you. Thanks for listening. I feel so much better now. It's just an ego boost. You know what I'm saying? I'm, some of y'all go, I'm just doing it because everybody else is. I get it. Stand up. Hold your Bibles up high. At least cup your hand. Fake the devil out. Say, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what the Bible says I can do. Today I'll be taught the Word of God, and I boldly confess. My mind is alert. My heart is receptive, and I'll never be the same again. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name, amen. This is what I call calorie week. You know, I mean, it's amazing. Every year I watch people at Thanksgiving between the Sundays, you know, Sunday before, Sunday after. It's like they are the turkey until Thursday, and then you eat the turkey. You know, it's like everybody goes ahead and take the whole week off. I don't know what's going to happen in about 2030. They'll be taking the whole month off. I don't know what's up. Anyway, well, you don't want to miss today if you're watching at home and you're thinking there are other distractions there, and there probably are. You don't want to miss this, all right? I'm not saying that because uh, just to get you to stay, but today's one of my favorite, favorite messages because I grew up in a very legalistic culture where there was just no way that God could love somebody like me. I remember I played all the sports and Back in my day, you you uh, you know you didn't have practice on Wednesday or Sunday. You know that was because everybody's going to honor God in the church. So, and which I love and I respect, and I'm not opposed to that. But there were so many things in that world at that time that were do's and don'ts. And uh, so I grew up thinking that there were days that God was happy with me, and there are days that He wasn't. Any of you ever been there? You're lying if you don't raise your hand. Because every one of us has been in that place where we wonder, you know, you did something that was really outside the, 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 the lines of your family or what you were told you could and could not do. And, uh, man, you just think, there's no way I can go back to church. It wasn't the people. It was that you were feeling this sense of self-guilt for a moment of stupidity. Not that any of you have ever had those. I... Is it 930? Because that's usually how they respond. You all are usually the people, yeah, I know what he's talking about. You know, I mean, because we all have this idea of God that he's perfect and we're not, and we know that, and, and that, that there are days that we don't behave the way we would like to or the way we think God would like for us to behave. In those particular days, we, uh, we impose on ourselves this, this sense of guilt. Now, this is not just for the sake of you watching online and even in here, this is not like a, a free pass to being dumb, okay? That's not what this is about. But it is about understanding that dumb is a part of everybody's life. Now, some of you don't think so, which makes you even more dumb than the people that know they're dumb. Because we all get dumb. We all have those moments where we wish we didn't, but it's, it's like something comes on us and you, you do something you wish you hadn't done or you know you shouldn't do. And so today we're going to go to Acts chapter 13. And there are two words I want you to remember, justification, sanctification. 
Justification, sanctification. I'm going to try to define these as best I can today. I'll carry it through next Sunday. I'll be preaching next Sunday. Hopefully some of y'all will come with a turkey hangover. And you'll be here next Sunday. But anyway, uh, justification is the understanding that the only way we're saved is by accepting Christ. We're not saved because we're good. We're not saved because we do everything right. We're saved because we put our faith in him. And Acts 13 says, through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin. Now, you guys have heard me preach this before. There's original sin, something that you're born with, which you are, you had nothing to do with. We could take this back to the garden, Adam and Eve, deciding that they were going to do what God said not do. And as a result of that, from that time to now, we've been having a battle to be connected to God. Jesus came to give us that connection again uh, with him. But we, we have this original sin, and Jesus came, and, and he died for that sin. Now, don't take this wrong, and I'm going to go out on a little bit of a ledge here. But I wish Jesus would have made it possible for us to not have behavioral sin. Now, because sin is a part of everybody's life. And, and I wish it wasn't, but it is. And, and all you have to do is if you just registered every thought that you have every day, and you honestly registered those thoughts, you would realize many of those thoughts are not productive, number one. Some of them are just flat-out sin. Like there are days I wish I had a monster truck and I could just run over Volkswagens that pull out in front of me. Amen. Yeah, you know, I know, I'm just saying. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm not proud of that. But some of y'all had the same thought, but you've never communicated it out loud. I did. And here's the reality. God knows every thought that you have. This is really going get, to get scary. Whether you do it or not, God know you thought, knows you thought it. So if you think about talking about me at lunch today, don't. God knows he's in my corner. He doesn't want you talking about me unless it's really good. I have two cans of Red Bull because I knew it was going to be a tough day. Freshly open, letting you know there's nothing else in there. You really are a holy crowd, aren't you? What does he mean by that? Okay, let me continue. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. A justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. You see, in the Old Testament, the Jewish people, the Israelites, were constantly uh, measuring everything they did against the law. Now, granted, the law is good. doesn't say it's bad, but here's what happened. Jesus didn't, he said, I didn't come to abolish the law, but I came to fulfill it. So he's saying, you couldn't do it, so I will do it. So now Christ in us, the law has been fulfilled through him who lives in us. So we're no longer a slave to the law because we are led by the Spirit of God. So what we have to realize is, is we have to shift Understanding our humanity in its human nature is evil, sinful. It just is. 
every one of us has the capacity at any given moment to sin beyond what we could ever imagine. But now we have the power that raised him from the dead that lives in us that gives us the strength to exercise self-control. And this is a real challenge for people who pride themselves in being good. Now, I listen to preaching every day, and I wrote this down because this was a great thought. It's somewhere in here. Justification is the acceptance of believers as righteous in the sight of God. Righteous in the sight of God. Now, here's the challenge. I haven't done a series on evangelism in a long time, and I really can't. Every now and then it bothers me because the reality is that most people go to restaurants, churches, wherever, not because of great marketing, but because they hear things from other people. Other people say, man, you ought to go to this place. I've eaten there before. It's really good, and you go. You ought to go to this church. It's really good, you know, and so you go. But the reality is the difficult thing about the church is that we love people who are lost. We love them unconditionally. That's what the church prides itself in. Sinners welcome here. People who are outcasts welcome here. So here's what happens. They come in. And, and they don't talk right, dress right, act right, worship right. But as long as they're lost, we're okay with that. So we're sending this message is, you're welcome here. But once they get saved, we go from leading them to Christ, justification, to judging them by sanctification. Now it's no longer about his action, it's about their action. You gotta dress right, you gotta wear the right clothes. That's the reason I wore tattered jeans today. I just want y'all to deal with it. I can't believe pastors wear jeans. Well, buy me some new ones then. <laughs> I'm open. Just don't buy me anything double knit polyester. That was created in hell. That fabric should never have existed. So we, we bring people in. We preach Jesus, the love of Jesus. You're accepted. And, you know, I used to have a saying when I started the other church I was at. And my staff will tell you, if there wasn't cussing in the lobby, we were doing something wrong. Now, see, religious people hate those words because you shouldn't do that. And I'm thinking, you know, that's what people do. And you want them all of a sudden to feel the acceptance and love and unconditional love of God. And yet, when they get saved, all of a sudden, you start telling them what to do instead of how to meet Jesus. And I know what you're going to say. Yeah, but they would be better off. You know what? If you love people and you live your life in front of people, more is caught than taught. See, the, the, I, I, I just grew up with such a God, I mean, just this complex of there's no way God could love someone like me. There's no way that God could love someone like me. Because I knew who I was. I had a lot of fun in life. And, and, and you know, and the Bible even says sin is pleasurable for a season. But when that season's up, I'm telling you, it's up. And so, but, but there is this thing, and I, I just, I, I measured my life 
against what I thought I was supposed to do instead of against who he was supposed to be to me. And so we see people, so they get saved, and they still wear tattered jeans, they still cuss in the lobby, and, and, and they come in hungover. And now all of a sudden we begin to tell them, because some of y'all are here this morning, but 9.30, there were quite a few. I mean, I remember when, when strippers started coming to the church and people were freaking out. Now, they had their clothes on. But you could tell they were a little different than your standard church crowd. And, and I, 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 I just, I love, I love to challenge religious people to love everybody. You say, well, you know, I can't accept their lifestyle. You're not being asked to. You're accepting the person. That's what Jesus does. That's what Jesus did. I accept the person. If we accept people and love people, their lives will be forever changed because that's what Jesus did. He found himself in the city squares looking at women caught in the act of adultery. He, he catch, and then he would say, let he who's without sin cast the first stone. Jesus didn't say, I approve. He's just saying the rest of y'all messed up too. I'm coming at it. Because the reality is, if we think we are good enough to get to heaven, then God is not God enough to get us there. Because it requires us. I am justified only because of my faith in Jesus Christ. I want to please him. I don't have to please him. So there are going to be some mean people going to heaven. And some of y'all sitting there going, I'm one of them. I don't know how long that flight's going to be. I don't know how long it's going to take to get from this stage to there. I don't know. But I pray that religious people on their way up are going up right next to rednecks with mullets and cut-off jean shorts and wife beaters on. All the rig. Can you imagine a Presbyterian going, you're going to heaven? This guy's all punked out. We better get our Jesus on right now. Or that flight may not be instant. It may take hours to get there. But we're looking and saying, there's no way that guy can go to heaven because of how he looks. Or how he acts. How many of you know y'all don't act right all the time either? And I sure don't. You only come on Sunday to hear me mess up. I am free. And not in the sense that I'm just going to go out and be stupid, but I'm free to be stupid. Make sense? I'm trying to get this dialed in. Hopefully, I'll find a lane here in a minute. <laughs> but here's the challenge. Is you know that you're going to Thanksgiving, and every family has one of those people in their family that is self-righteous. They've never missed church. They're on the demon, I mean deacon board. They're doing everything right. Let me help you this Thanksgiving. Don't let them pray over the meal. Let me just tell you all something. Anybody who prays for longer than 30 seconds over a meal needs to be shut down. The Bible says give thanks. It doesn't say intercede. But the reason they intercede is to wait on everybody to say, that was such a beautiful prayer. What is a beautiful prayer? 
Is it eloquence? Is it grammatically correct? Or is it coming from a heart that is sincere? God, thank you for this meat. Now it's time to eat. Amen. John 5, 24. I tell you the truth. Now, this is, this is like red. I tell you the truth. Jesus is saying, y'all aren't sure what, what's right and wrong, what's a lie and what's true. So he said, I'm going to tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Hold on. Pause. Whoever hears my word and behaves and keeps every letter of that word, because that's how we read it after we get born again, after we get somebody born again. So we get saved, we're justified by faith, but then our sanctified life, if it's not lived out of love and compassion and and desire to please God because we love him, then it's born out of fear and saying, if I don't behave this way, God's not going to love me. Now, the great challenge is that there are all these schools of thought, and this message right here will irritate religious people because what they would say is, you're being too easy. I'm not being easy. The Bible made it. Jesus made it. I mean, I'm not saying that living a a sanctified life is an easy way to go because it's not. I mean, I want to please God, but they're like Paul, even one of the greatest apostles ever. Why do I do the things I don't want to do and don't do the things I want to do? If Paul's struggling, I'm in good company. I think he's my uncle. Because I have the same, I said, why don't I do the things? I mean, have you ever had those moments where before you even open your mouth, you know what's coming out? And you can't stop it. You just can't, I mean, you're just like, I got to say this. Going through two degrees of theology, which is enough to make you want to be unsaved if you don't get this right. I was asked the question, how many of you read the Gospels, and every time Jesus was confronted by religion or religious people, zealots or Pharisees or Sadducees, how many of you know Jesus often answered a question with a question? Which we would all be better if we did this sometimes. So one time, I'm going through college, and I wasn't the, sharp, the class that made the sharpest tool in the shed. I was in, but I did know this, a class that made the upper 80% possible. I mean, you just got to understand. But I did know this. So I get to ask this question. Okay, Mark, if someone is driving down the road and someone cuts them off and then they flip them off, it's real life in here, okay, really? Really? And if somebody does that and then after the person that flips them off runs into a telephone pole and they die, will they go to heaven? This was my question. That's what they asked me. And I said, well, let me ask you a question, because that's what Jesus did, and that's about as much like Jesus as I'm ever going to be. Is let me ask you a question. I said, before the accident, at any point in time, had they given their life to Jesus? 
Well, yeah. I said, then they're going to heaven. If your eternity's based on your middle finger, we're all in trouble. Because if you haven't done it in real life, you have done it in your head. <laughs> Just like, geek. <sighs> Thank you. <laughs> At least one person thinks so. It's better than none. That's what I'm saying. So here's the reality. All I'm trying to say is this. Do you see how we measure? We become God all of a sudden. And all I know how to do is go to this scripture that says, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life will not be condemned. He crossed over from death to life. I'm not telling you, giving you permission to be mean or count to one. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying this. The person who does that knows in their heart it doesn't bless them and it certainly doesn't bless the receiver. But you know that, and your heart compels you to make things right in your own mind. If you have an opportunity, make things right with the other person. But you're doing it from the platform. Your motivation is, I love God so much and realize God loves me so much that that's what I want to do. But religious people say, I do this because I want to show God and everybody else that I am right with him. You don't have to show me you're right with God because I'm not the one you're going to stand before at the end of life. You don't have to impress me. You don't even have to be nice to me, but I do think if you do, God will have a blessing for you. But it's, it's great. You know, when I was young, and I, used, I started racing when I was 16 years old, so I love to drive muscle cars, and I like to drive fast. And some of you are going to hate me for that, and I don't really do it much as I would like to. But when I was young, and, and they started the school zone, when I was a kid, dude, it was the responsibility of the six-year-old not to run out in front of a 3,000-pound car. They didn't have any lights for us. That's how come we are who we are as baby boomers. We're tough. We had no help. We didn't even have school-crossing people. We just had a sign in the middle of the road, kids playing. Then they came up with this slow kids playing, and I felt sorry for that neighborhood. Anyway, so, I mean, who wants that sign in your neighborhood? But when I, when I first started driving, these lights started coming, you know, 25 miles an hour, and, and you know, so you're, you have no kids, and you're like, you know, you're driving through the school zone, and I can't wait to go on the other side, you know. And all you did it for was you didn't want to get a ticket because it's a big ticket. Then I had children. My motivation changed. I loved my kids, and I didn't want them to get hurt. So now my motivation came, I don't want to get it from not wanting to get a ticket to not wanting to hurt a child. Do you see the difference? It's funny how a motivation changes when you have an experience. When you have an experience with God, your motivation changes. I no longer want to be a legalist. I realize how much God loves me and how much I love God. Therefore, I want to do right. I don't want to speed through the school zone. 
See, there's a difference. Religious people hate people who get saved right before they die and they live a hellish life. All you have to do is they look and go, I can't believe they're going to heaven. What they're really saying is, I would have done everything he did and had this opportunity. You'll die without that chance. <laughs> Isn't that what people do? I can't believe they live that kind of life. And they, they look at it and it's just religious. They get mad. Deathbed confessions irritate religious people. I tell you what deathbed confessions do for me. They make me excited. They get to go to heaven. I don't care how they live their life on earth. They found Jesus and they accepted Jesus and now they are forgiven and they get to go to heaven. They're justified by their faith in him, not their 50, 60 miserable years of life where they didn't serve him. Then we will truly love his people. We'll love everybody he created. Jesus demonstrated that. On the cross, when he could have called legions of angels, he didn't say, Father, when I'm gone, sick them. Let those suckers reap what they've sown. Let there be a cross for all of them. <laughs> Feeling a little Bruce Almighty there for a minute. No, he didn't say. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Wow. Hold it. Hold it. Could you ever do that to somebody who parked on your lawn? Father, forgive them. No, it's destroy their car. I'm calling a wrecker. There's a scripture that says the measure you judge it will be judged back to you. Every time I think I want to get in somebody's business or get on, I think, hold on. Hold on. And, you know, we do most of the things that we think are good in the name of God. I have a very dear friend who, I mean, he's bigger than life. He's a motivational guy. He's spoken with all the, I mean, every motivational speaker imaginable. He's really clever. And uh, I was a part of an organization that had annual conferences, and, you know, everybody from Joyce Meyer to T.D. Jakes, everybody, we'd, every year we had them come. It was a small group, but they would come in kind of a round table. And every year, it would be about 200 pastors, and we had a guy that would get up and receive the offering. And, I mean, he's literally 6'6". He's just huge in every way, and his, his presentation's huge. And, but every year, the board would ask him to do it because he was just really good at, at a speaking vision and raising the funds necessary to cover all the expenses of the conference. And, and, so, uh, and he's a very dear friend of mine, and, and I hated it because I knew how strong he was going to be, and I knew that some of the people on the board were going to be mad when it was all said and done, but yet we asked him to do it. And... So after one of the meetings, that one of the, the president of the board came and said, you know, I, I think we need to address this friend of ours and, and, and tell him, you know, that, that today was really not that acceptable. And so he goes to my buddy and says, you know, today when you were receiving the offering, you were a little bit arrogant. My buddy looked back and said, well, you're arrogant for telling me I'm arrogant. Wasn't that a great comeback? Wish I'd have thought of that. What I'm saying is, we're not called to be God. 
and measure everybody else's life. I have enough issues of my own. And you know, it's, it's so liberating to realize, and I'm not saying this because I don't, I don't need your approval and you don't need mine. I, I've always been confused at how we create rules like the Pharisees did. We get on the Pharisees for how they were and all the laws they had and all the things and the way how harsh they were, but we're really not that much different. If we really take an honest look, if, if, you, if you go to certain churches, and I always loved this. I grew up in the church that, that, that had a way to figure out, twist Scripture to make it satisfy how we lived. And I always loved the one where Jesus turned water into wine. Now, it, the church I grew up in, that was Kool-Aid. That was how they presented it. And I'm thinking, once I got my theology degree, I realized that they always served the best wine early, and then at the party, guys were getting a little buzzed, and then they'd bring the cheap wine out because they couldn't tell because they were already buzzed. I lost you, didn't I? Now, the only reason I'm doing this is because we have our little pet peeves, and in reality, I'd rather have someone chugging wine than talking bad about the pastor. I can't believe I just said that in church. But here's the reality. The reason we don't say those things in church, I got scripture to support what I just said. But we don't talk about it because we think I need everybody else's approval or you need my approval or we need other people's approval. My dad could not even be a, he couldn't even be an usher or a deacon in the church because he chewed tobacco. Yeah, can you believe that? That makes me want to go to that church. Now, you say, well, do you condone it? Here's what I condone. Loving people the way Jesus loves people. Again, please don't hear this as, look, I think we all ought to just, you know, forget everything we know. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying this, that justification means I'm saved by faith. Sanctification means it's God's holy work in my life until the day I die. But it's not his holy work because of, I'm afraid of him. It's his holy work in my life because I love him. We, we, we act like serving the Lord is a drudgery and difficult because it is if you live it by the law. The law kills. The Bible says the letter of the law kills, but the Spirit gives life. So we bring people in by the Spirit, but then we make them live by the law. Look, I don't want you to be an alcoholic. I don't want you to be a drug addict. I don't want any of those things for you. But you have to not want them for you. And if you still have them, I'm going to still love you. Maybe I should love you even more to let you know that God is not measuring your life by you. He's measuring it by the cross. And that that's destroying you and God doesn't want you destroyed. He wants you to live the abundant life. And there are choices we have to make to live that abundant life. But the reality is people never get there overnight. In fact, Philippians 1.6 says, He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus, which means there is no hope for perfection prior to him. Can't help myself. <sighs> this kind of message excites me because I grew up an absolute legalist. Man, I, I'd get up at 5 a.m. every morning 
seven days a week, 5 a.m. to pray. But guess what? I let everybody know I was up at 5 a.m. Because that made me better than you if you slept in. Then I learned, not only Jesus asked, could you not tarry an hour? So it's like, okay, I got an hour, God. I got an There were times I was drooling. 45 minutes of sleeping, 15 minutes of prayer. And then I found a scripture that went, pray without ceasing. I thought that means no more 5 a.m. But see, I wanted to impress everybody and think, I'm a spiritual giant. I get up at 5 a.m., knucklehead. You're still looking at the back of your lids. But that was me. See, that's my problem. I wanted everybody to know I was a spiritual giant. I go to church every time the doors are open. I wake up and pray from 5 a.m. to 6 a.m. And when you hear spiritual leaders talking about that, their hope, obviously, is to elevate you. But the reality is when I say that, if I would say that, I was elevating me. If somebody came up and said, you know, could you tell me what you do? I said, look, this isn't for everybody, but I get up at 5 a.m. and I pray. But you had to ask me instead of me telling you. You see, God was not any more impressed with me than the person who slept till noon. Now, if you're religious, you're like, I know better than that. You think God's impressed that I could get up at 5 a.m. and spend a measly hour with him? Oh, my gosh, look at Mark. The Father, Son, Holy Ghost, and Mark Crow, the quadrinity. It takes a little more than that to impress the one who made the galaxies. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? We, we separate ourselves from God. He doesn't separate himself from us. We separate ourselves from God by trying to live a life that others will approve of and that he will approve of. And the reality is God approves of you, the person, doesn't mean he always approves of everything that we do, but he approves of everything that we are. We're created in his image and his likeness. We're the apple of his eye. And the only reason I can even stay in church is because I know as much as I want all of us to be better and do better, I do want those things. But I want us to want to do better and want to be better, not have to be better. It always cracks me up at the couples that have been married 60 years. We've been married 60 years. <laughs> what they're really saying, yeah, it was tough. I can't wait till one of us dies. <laughs> I mean, really? Really? When you say it that way, I mean, I'm proud of you. If you've been married 60, I really am proud of you. I just pray that it's happy 60. You know what I'm saying? You see, I know a lot of people that have been married and happy, but not a lot of happily married people. <laughs> Matter of fact, I love it when people say, you know, I don't really know how long we've been married. It's such a been, been such a fun journey that I just haven't even kept track. Uh, you know what I'm talking about. You know, in, in my life, in my world, what I realized was as an A-type personality, I made too much of too much. 
I've made too much of too much in my life. I've overthought things. I've done things for the wrong reasons with the wrong motivations. And I don't want to do that. There are days that I'm going to love Jesus and not like you. (laughs) I hope there aren't days I like you and don't love Jesus. But you see what I'm saying? And, and when I say those things, there's liberty in knowing that authenticity is what the next generation is looking for. They're not looking to be impressed because there's nothing to impress them with. We have made so many mistakes. We've worked so hard, and we've, we've applauded ourselves. And I, I being one of those, I grew up working from, I, I mean, I started working when I was just very young. I had to. We were poor. I had to make a living. I knew my parents couldn't provide the way I wanted. I, I had to. But then we, we pride ourselves in that, and we run down the next generation when in reality what we've shown them is a life of works, and it wears everybody out instead of a life of grace that leads everybody on. And again, I just want people to love Jesus because they love Jesus, and they recognize we are justified because he justified us. I'm not justified because I'm a pastor. I'm not justified because I'm perfect because I never have been, never will be. Can't even believe God. I told one of my kids, I said, I I didn't, ministry picked me. I did not pick ministry. I didn't even want my kids to be in ministry. Because it's just such a, it's such a bizarre thing where you feel like you have to tell everybody what they want to hear instead of what Jesus is really saying. I'm telling people what I feel like Jesus is saying whether anybody wants to hear it or not. And I, I don't mean that arrogantly. I just mean that I'm, I'm free from feeling like everything I say is right. And I want you to understand, everything any pastor shares with you is his or her interpretation of what they see the Bible to be. I'm not an expert. I have a couple of degrees. All that means is I have a couple of degrees. But there are people that read the Bible that extract from it a truth that I may not even see. Because that's what the Holy Spirit does. He doesn't shortchange anybody. I don't get to hear from him because I'm a pastor. I get to hear from him because I'm a believer. You get to hear from him because you're a believer. You get to hear his voice because you believe in him. And my prayer is that when you leave here, you leave here lighter, happier, more confident of God's love for you, of his grace and his mercy. Not because you leave here going, man, I, I got to live. You know, we couldn't play cards when I was a kid because one of the queens, I guess, was naked or something. I don't know. It was really weird. I just know we couldn't play cards, and that's what somebody said. I never went back and looked, and I still haven't. But I'm sure some of you will go home and look now because we have Google. But, but we, we couldn't play pool. We couldn't, I mean, we could, we'd go to youth camp, and, and they, 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 they called it, they, they said, you can't have mixed bathing. I thought, we're not bathing, we're swimming. I mean, how bizarre. And I know some of you might still believe in that, and I don't shun you for that or doubt. I'm just saying all those things I grew up with, religious behavior that said God would be pleased if he saw this. And I'm thinking, God is pleased that I love him and accept his son and the cross and the crucifixion and the resurrection. He loves me. Now, if you came here from an upbringing like mine, this is a horse-sized pill to swallow. I get that. But I will never again live my life or preach a message that makes you feel worse than when you came in here. There's hope in the gospel. It's called good news. And the good news is 
that God is for you. If you're an addict of any type, God is for you. It's tearing you apart. It's tearing you down. I get that. And you hate yourself more than anybody else could hate you because I've been there. And there was no place for me in the church because I knew who I wasn't. And I wasn't one that was qualified to be forgiven. But Jesus thought differently. And he thinks differently about you. This is just the beginning of understanding freedom and that you have a relationship with Him. Not just so you can go to heaven, though that's really a great reason, but so that heaven can come to you. The power that raised Jesus from the dead, if it lives in you, the Bible says He'll quicken your mortal body. This holiday season, maybe the hardest season of all for many people suicides are high depression is high people have an idea an ideal of what family life looks like I've had to shift everything for my life Susan will tell you we talk about it openly it's a hard time of year for us we have nine kids in five states merged our families and, you know, I just want you, I share that with you only to let you know that you look at my life and you look at pastors' lives and you think they're all pristine. I will fight some of the very things that you will fight this holiday season. I wish I could tell you I look forward to it. But what I'm telling you is I look forward to growing near to God throughout the whole season and not catching my eyes, just keeping it on myself, but looking out and saying, God, who can I encourage? Who can I help? I want to bring life to you. The life of Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life, bringing life to others. So this holiday season, everything may not be the way you want it to be as you approach it. You had ideas and ideals when you were young, and, 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 you know, you, you, and, and those things splattered. Here's the reality. In the presence of God, there is fullness of joy. Stay there. Stay there. Stay in the presence of God and watch and see what happens. This is a great time to grow. Great time to grow. Let's pray. Father, thank you. You're an awesome God. You're an awesome God. Thank you for loving us the way we are. Never leaving us, never forsaking us, no matter what. You're an awesome God. Lord, when you said examine ourselves, you weren't saying that for the purpose of shaming or condemning us. But examine ourselves so that we could realize with you we would have a far greater life, a better life, an eternal life. All you wanted us to do was to see the difference in our own sinful humanity and your glorious perfection. Help us, God. With every head bowed, every eye closed, we never like to close the service without giving you an opportunity to receive Christ. Just want to take a minute and pray. Those of you watching online, I want you to pray this with us here in house. And as you pray this, believe it or not, whether you feel anything or not, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are justified and forgiven. He's already forgiven you, but you accept that forgiveness when you pray this prayer. It is for you. Jesus loves you, 
doesn't matter where you were last night, what you did last night. What matters is what you will do in this moment to make him the Lord of your life. And it will begin to change everything. But even if you don't see the change, don't let anybody tell you any different when you've received Christ. Watch and see what happens. Pray this with me. Say, Father God, thank you so much for sending your only son to suffer and die for my sin. Jesus, thank you for giving your life for me. Today I give my life to you. I repent of my sin. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, either here or online, I want to ask you to text the word SAVE to 405-500-1310. We get that. We pray for you, pray with you. And listen, it's very, very important that you make that statement. And then I would encourage you to tell somebody that you know, today I made a, a, a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. And, and I profess that he is my Lord and my Savior. Very important for you to do that, just, just to start establishing that foundation. And, of course, what happens is people who don't understand what I just preached today will judge you by your behavior, not by your choice. And today you made a choice. Your behavior comes over time. It's called sanctification. It's a lifetime process of walking out the justification that you've accepted. All right? Hello, this is Pastor Mark Crow. I just want to take a quick moment to thank you for joining us online. We hope you have a blessed week this week and get to be a blessing to those around you. I want to invite you to join us at Mosaic Church OKC next week at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. or join us online. God bless you.